Good morning, everyone. Glad that you are here and that we have this opportunity to worship our God this morning. Um, I do have a few announcements that I wanted to share with you before we actually get to the sermon. And the sermon will be pretty simple. I mean, you read this story, this parable, and it should be pretty obvious um, some of the things that will be said this morning. That said, um, this week on Wednesday, Thursday, and possibly on Friday, there's going to be work here in the auditorium. They'll try and get done early enough on Wednesday to be, make sure that they're out here so we have a good service. Um, but that, they're going to be replacing the projector. Uh, I don't know if you guys can tell, what I'm looking at this screen, this screen is nothing like what I'm seeing up over here. It's very, very different. Um, and so hopefully with the new projector, everything will work out well. They're going to center everything up. So nice things. I think... Don was mentioning the lights, or Jimmy was mentioning the lights. All we're doing is getting a bid just to see what it would take um, cost-wise to get the light system so that it helps from a video purpose. I think when we're streaming, everything is good right here, but if you step out right here, I'm, I'm a different tone. <laughs> and so you come over here, same thing once you get out of that light. So they're going to see if they can get some lighting that would actually work for the whole area for the video streaming purposes. So that'll take place this week. One thing that... Um, Martha reminded me was on behalf of Mr. Walter Davidson's daughter, Anita Owens. She had surgery, spinal surgery over the weekend. And according to Mr. Walter, she had a very successful surgery. And she is going to be needing our prayers as she continues her recovery from that surgery. So keep her in your prayers. Uh, the other, um, as was mentioned early this morning, and Miss Viola wanted just me to remind for you all. So if we can put that in our news and notes for today when we um, get our emails. Um, that she has been experiencing the involuntary movements and is asking for prayers. They think that maybe there is something to do with the brain. Um, there was a blood clot, did you say, on her brain and thinking that that may be causing the involuntary movements. Please continue to keep Miss Viola's daughter, whose name is also Viola, uh, Viola Kanapka. Um, keep her in your prayers. The last one, I received a phone call from Bonnie Rodriguez um, yesterday. Um, she said she's doing great. Um, she basically says, I don't even know who my next door neighbors are because I stay in my house 24, just every day. Cause she just doesn't want to get in trouble with the law. Doesn't want to get in trouble with people. So she lives in Clarksville. She's been there for about a year now. She's been concerned for her daughter, Maria. Um, I know for years and Maria is only in her early twenties. Um, she's been strung out on drugs. Well, she's had some pretty bad OD situations recently. Um, Bonnie had basically tried getting her arrested. That's how desperate she has been. They found her, took her to court, then they let her go. She was on probation. She basically was daring the police to catch her. They finally did catch her again. Um, she is currently incarcerated at CCA in Echopod, which is where we actually go for the women. And so Bonnie is asking if we can have the women that do go to the jails. If you guys are on Echopod, she's in Echopod number two. Um, see if we can make contact with Maria. She is a very sweet young lady as far as her personality. I've talked to her, visited with her. Julie and I have. We've helped them out. Um, but right now, she's just not in her right mind as far as living her life. And she may not even want God in her life. But Bonnie's asking for us to reach out on her behalf. So please keep her in your prayers. And for the women that go into CCA, please see if you can reach out to Maria. Her name is Maria Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Um, so the things that we just read in Luke chapter 15. I want you to really think about the context of this parable. 
Look at the setting and see if the setting is actually more geared toward us in this room than we may even realize. Okay? So I want us to go back to Luke, I said Luke 16, it's in Luke 15. Let me open your Bibles to Luke 15, and I want you to, to see some things that are going on in the text here. In the very beginning of what we call Luke chapter 15, notice how Luke sets the backdrop. He gives us the context of why these parables are so important and the message are given to believers. So look at what it says here. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to hear him. Tax collectors and sinners. It, you may as well have just added all the other sinners because this group represented all the sinners of the day. And on the flip side, the Pharisees and scribes are there complaining. Tax collectors and sinners wanting to hear the message of God. And on the other side, in the audience, the complainers. These were the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and Pharisees, or the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Don't you know we're not supposed to have fellowship with sinners? Think about that. That's not the focus of this morning's sermon, but you focus in on that, that Jesus is spending time with the sinners. And these sinners are children of God. Let that sink in. That's what I want you to focus in on. Sinners who are Jews having a covenant relationship with God. So it's not like these are sinners who are the Gentiles and the Jews are not going to have fellowship with them. These are brethren amongst the Israelites. Brethren who, in the minds of the Pharisees, in the minds of the scribes, if we are righteous people, we're not going to have anything to do with those ungodlies amongst us. And they were upset with Jesus and complaining because Jesus is eating with them. Okay? So that's the framework. Now, when you get into this concept here of this parable, this parable is dealing with this whole gospel message. Everything is pointing toward the, the life of God's promises and the blessings to all of man. Man messing things up because of his wayward ways. Going off and living a life separated from God. But coming to his senses realizes what he's done. He has gone from living to dead to living again. Do you see that in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3? That's a concept that is given through all the Old Testament scriptures, through the New Testament teachings about the gospel message. And here is Jesus who comes into this world and dies and lives again to teach a message of death and living. And that's what we're seeing here. And so I want us to note that this road, if you will, this road to redemption actually begins with us leaving our God. And I want you to notice some of the things that we were reading when, when Mark was reading for us from verses 11 through 24, the first part of this parable, right? There's more to it as we know. But in the first part of this parable, we see this deprivation of this father's son. And there are some key things that take place in and amongst children of God. 
And sometimes when we think of this parable, we always think about other people. And what we really need to focus on is right here, us. Some of us are here physically, but may not be here in fellowship with God. Now, I don't know that. Maybe you don't even know that. God definitely knows. What's easy is for us to see where some are here and then they're not here because they're not walking with God. That's easy to understand. But what about the rest of us too, right? So think of those who are not walking with God that you do know about and the possibility that some amongst us may be not walking with God, but even here, that still fits these descriptions of what happens when we're on this road to deprivation before we have restoration and redemption, okay? So... When you consider these ways, I want you to think about these. And, and I think I've heard the story so many times, it's almost like you can package it up. So when you're young and you live to the fleshly desires, it doesn't end when you get older, right? You still have the flesh in you. And so imagine here is this son. He says, Dad, I want my inheritance. I want it now. Not when or after you die. Now. He's very selfish. It's representing a selfishness in his life. And that's the thing about when you're on the road to deprivation. When you're on this road, you may not even see that you're being selfish. You may even justify saying, you know, I may die tomorrow. Why can't I get my inheritance now? Right? And so carpe diem, right? To seize the day. I want to get my inheritance while I can. And so with this fleshly mindset... Even being justified, decisions are being made, and he's not thinking about anyone else but himself. And when I talk about him, because we live in 2019, it could be her too, right? Any person as a child of God is one who, when they make these kinds of fleshly or selfish decisions, it's only with self in mind. And whatever you do and however you discuss with them, they're not going to see it. They're blind to selfishness. They're blind to fleshly decisions. It is all justified. It is all being able to be understood in what is best for themselves. So there's that. What eventually takes place when you have these kinds of decisions is what comes from the heart, as we learned in our study in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, produces all kinds of evil. It's not what goes in the mouth, but what comes out of the person what comes from the heart. And so we get to see the reality of these decisions. And when we were reading the parable, or when Mark read the parable for us, what was this guy doing? He was partying it up. Living what he thought was the good life. But because it was so filled with the flesh, and only thinking of himself, and only thinking of today, not tomorrow, what could happen, he squanders everything. And it is this road that leads to deprivation that he was already on and making those kinds of choices, poor choices, even if fun for him or for her in in our case today. But eventually, everything catches up. And that's part of life. When we get to this point where I've hit rock bottom, I don't know where to turn. It is no wonder that in and amongst people today, when we live and make all these choices, somehow 
we come to our senses and we do one of two things. And one on this road to deprivation is I give up. I, I can't realize how life has gotten so bad and people give up their lives. And that's why we we're talking about suicide recently. But there's something else that can come to take place. You have an opportunity when living a life this way to have your eyes open. And here's the thing. Every one of us in this room, we are not immune. Not a single one of us. Not our elders, not the preacher, not the Bible class teachers, not the pillars in your minds, whoever you think are godly, mature Christians in your mind. Every single one of us has a propensity to get on this path as children of God. It's possible. And we'd be fools to think that all I have to do is just look at someone else and see what was going on in their life and forget to see what's going on in mine. This is where it gets sobering for some of us in this room. Usually the ones that are sober about this point is they're putting two and two together going, that's me. And I don't want to be this way. If you're not ready, you'll shut your ears, you'll shut your heart, you'll shut your mind and not let this part of the sermon sink in. And so if we get the time to self-evaluate with good and honest hearts, it becomes a very sobering point. And when we get to this point, some of us, at some point in our lives, get to say, enough. And that's the reason why Don, when, he's, when he prays for the men that we go into the jail, in fact, thanks, Don, <laughs> by virtue, I remember now, that we get to individuals that they're at this point in their life. And for right or wrong on how someone thinks of themselves, whether they think of themselves as a child of God, and we're saying, wait a second, you need to be baptized in Christ for the remission of sins. These men and women that we go and see at the jails, by the way, there's new sheets out in the foyer. Some of them believe themselves to be children of God, and the opportunity avails us when we talk to them about the gospel of Jesus. But many of them are saying, that's me, I'm the prodigal son. The case in point, when I asked you all about two or three weeks ago to pray for Vernon Bell... And then after talking with him, he said, Mitch, let Vernon B. Well, I, I even said, Vernon B. Vernon wants you to know his full name. He wants you to know his life story. He wants you to know him personally. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Vernon, how it ties into what we're talking about here specifically. And I believe Vernon had been baptized, by the way. Um, but here's the thing about Vernon. He's 52 years old. This was his fourth incarceration dealing with drugs. He's incarcerated this last time for drug dealing. And his story, as I understand it, is that he was offered a job at, and I forget the name of it, it's a private school here in the Nashville area. Don and Jimmy remember the name of the school. I don't remember it. Ezel Harding. Okay, Ezel Harding. And while at the school, he was beginning to coach the football team because that's what he had been hired for as um, to be there and coach the football players. In the meantime, it was with a contingency that the Board of Education would make the final approval, which they did not. He was so distraught. Mind you, he had three previous charges dealing with drugs in the past. 
because of his youthful years when he went with the wrong crowd. But over those years, in and out of jail and prison, he would try to walk with God as he knew it. In this last moment, this last incarceration, he's saying, I was so distraught that I did not get this job, and I was so desperate for income that I went back to an old habit of selling drugs. I feel so bad about it. And so here we are, we have this course, Christians Against Substance Abuse. And of all the things he was not wanting to be in this course, but the caseworker said, you're coming to this class. And so we met him. And since then, it has been an absolute joy, absolute blessing to know him. This was his most recent prayer, and last week was graduation, of which he, amongst eight others, were, uh, had graduated from this particular course that we had. Here's his latest prayer. That God will bless me to meet the men of the Franklin Church of Christ and possibly become part of the body of Christ there. They've impressed upon my heart the love and warmth there. I need men of God. Brethren, that's the kind of impact we can have on someone like this. And so as we get back to this picture here of people who go off, they make these fleshly decisions they do it knowingly in, in many cases. And that's the reality. When we talk about sin, sometimes we talk about, well, I didn't mean to. Sometimes, brethren, we mean to sin. We do. We just have difficulty admitting it. And we have to realize that no one is above the fact that we can be tempted in one way or another. And we've gone through in recent weeks seeing the, the prayers that brethren are asking on their behalf. So we can pray for brethren who are struggling one way or another, or if it's their family that's struggling one way or another. Because this happens. This is part of it. It doesn't, doesn't end once we become Christians, that we have no more temptation, no more trials, right? It still happens. But we have an opportunity for us to come to our senses, and that's exactly what happened to this quote-unquote prodigal son. In the middle of this parable, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up. There's symbolism there. I'm going to go to my father. Symbolism there. And I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. That's what he does. And that's the reality. When you come to your senses, you start making good choices. You start making godly choices, and you don't make any more excuses because you see where it got you. Not everyone is there. We have individuals that continue to make poor choices, even as children of God. And that'll happen. It doesn't, ha it doesn't end because of this sermon. It doesn't end just because um, Christians have met together and I've asked for prayers on my behalf because I'm struggling with some sin. And then all of a sudden, I'm not going to sin again. If it was that simple, brethren be so wonderful but life is not that simple owning's one or owning one's depravity allows the possibility for redemption i want you to soak in that phrase you know when you can own your sins you finally admit to them 
And when you admit to them, it becomes a little bit easier each time. And pretty soon, it's not a matter of glorifying your sins, not at all. But it is a matter of being able to take responsibility and ownership so that you can deal with it more effectively. And that opens a door to the possibility of coming on this road of redemption. And that's the thing that is so beautiful about this particular message. Here's the thing. It involves more than just this mindset, right, that I'm rock bottom. I have nothing going for me. It's this idea that I come to realize I left home. I left a father that was taking care of me. There's a father who loves me and provides for me, not because of just out of necessity, because that's what he's supposed to do, but because of a genuine care for me. And as symbolic as that is, is a God who loves his children, allows us to make our own depraved decisions to say, I love you, I'm blessing you, and I'm sending off your decision to leave me and go down a road that is a road without me. And that's what this loving father did for his son. God does that. God doesn't force us to be faithful to him. He allows us to make our own choices to say, you go on and live your life as best as you think. And that's what people will do. That's the whole story of the Bible. Right? I honestly believe that's why this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, is in the garden. It is a representation of a man's choice to do his will and not the father's. The father says, don't go after your own will. Go after that tree. Here's mine. Here's what's li where life is. But he allows us to make those decisions. And that's the story of the whole scripture, right? We see it in Genesis. We see it in the history of Israelites when God makes a covenant relationship with them, that they're agreeing to be together. And what does Israel do in that covenant agreement? Leave God. That's the story of mankind. Not only individually, but even as a, a society. We see that in this parable. But here's a God who not only lets us make these decisions... He longs for us to return. And that's a picture of this parable, isn't it? When this prodigal son comes to his senses and makes a decision that I want to go back to my father. I don't even want to go back as a son. I, I even want to go back as a servant. And so what we're seeing is a God who's there and he's waiting, looking for the return of his son. Knowing that his son is going to make his own choice to come back to him, but he's there waiting for him. And as soon as he sees his father, this is counterculture, first century Israelite. When I say counterculture, let me, let me be very clear. Typically, fathers did not wait for their prodigal children to return home. Stereotypical parent is, you made your bed, go sleep in it. You don't come back home. As far as I'm concerned, you're not a child of mine. You're not my son. And brethren, that's not too far off from many families today. Even Christian families, Christian families who think that they're trying to be faithful to God, saying, you are living a life of sin. I want nothing to do with you because you're in sin. Right? And so I know there's variances within that, but there's, there's, that's a reality that takes place in the body of Christ. And 
for reasons that we can look actually see scriptures why that would be justified in the minds of many. But here's his father waiting. And then not waiting for his son to come to him. When he sees his son getting toward in, in the distance, coming to him, he runs out and meets his son. What a beautiful picture. But you see, that's the forgiving heart that was mentioned this morning in our Lord's Supper talk. A forgiving God. And he's overwhelmingly forgiving. Some might even refer to his forgiveness as foolish forgiveness. But only because he is God, only because we revere him as such, we're saying his forgiveness is perfect. What we need to realize is how do we follow through in our way of forgiving? Are we every bit as quote-unquote foolish as our God? Or as forgiving as our God? Because he waits for us to come to him. But as obvious as was mentioned in verses 17, 18, and 19, it has to include our decision. There's no way about it. God's not going to force us to return to him. He's not going to make us be saved. We have to want him. And therein lies the reality that many have not come to just yet. But if you do, what a blessing. Now, here's where I want to finish, right here, this screen. How does it affect us in this room, listening to this message? Like many sermons, um, especially when there's like, if, if we do a, a marriage sermon and there's points about the women, you always get, and it could be points about the men, by the way. There's always this little extra jab to the husband, to the wife, or parents and children, and the parents look over at their children. Did you listen to that point? Can you imagine children looking over their parents? Did you hear that, mom, dad? <laughs> How does this affect you? Because sometimes some of us, we're so blind to our own ways that we don't even see that we may be on this road that leads to deprivation. Don't even see it. But sometimes that's exactly what happens to Christians. In fact, I'd venture to say, not sometimes, if you look at the totality of the body of Christ, there's always someone. Even in a small congregation family as we have here, there's always going to be someone, and I speak generically, naturally, that is on this road, whether we can see it or not, whether it's as obvious as the parable given here. We need to realize that. And are we able to go out and meet people in the body of Christ or even outside the body of Christ because naturally our goal is to reach and seek and save the lost as our Savior has done who are living this prodigal life and are finally getting to the point says I don't want any of it that's what happened with Bonnie she's like I'm so sick and tired of of living this life of of being incarcerated because of my decisions and while her life is Far from ideal. She's like, Mitch, I just stay in my own little life. And I try to help people where I can. She's trying. We might want her to do this, this, and that from our vantage point so that she can have a better life. That doesn't excuse the fact that she's trying where, where she is at. We need to meet people where they're at. 
but we also just need to be able to meet people because there are a lot of people who are currently in a faraway country. And some may be right in this room. How are we meeting them? How are we going, are we going to help them before they hit rock bottom to come? Because we don't want anyone hitting rock bottom, but sometimes that's exactly where it leads, right? Sometimes that's like the only thing that can get to them to have salvation, to have deliverance. And that's where we're at. Sometimes we meet people who are at rock bottom and ready to come to their senses. What kind of people are we individually? Collectively, I think by and large, in, especially in our church family, we do a great job. So I'm asking you individually. Because while not every single person needs to hear every part of this, this sermon, we all need to hear it collectively and we all need to evaluate where am I at individually? Am I like our Heavenly Father? Am I like that man, that parent in the, in the prodigal son? Maybe on another occasion we can look at the, the older brother, which does in fact represent the scribes and Pharisees. Because these are the tax collectors and sinners, by the way. That's who Jesus was teaching. And the scribes and Pharisees are in the next half of this parable. That's for another lesson. You need to have that hope with regard to your life. And so the father says, and this is where the hope and this is where the resurrection story, the gospel story comes to its beautiful conclusion. When the father says, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Good times. Do you know who's celebrating in this story? The father, the son, and all his servants. than a hope we get to see the beauty of that picture that's the kind of celebration we need to have when someone wants to come back after having a prodigal life and we should be able to relate in some way of living our lives in, in whatever way we can if we can own our own weaknesses and our own sins to do that that's a celebration story that's the story of the gospel message and brethren if you are in this parable right now in your life you have an opportunity to make amends whether you do it privately or publicly that's going to be your call whether you want the prayers of brethren here or not that's your call but know this your loving God is with outstretched arms ready willing to meet you as you make the decision to return to him for your benefit for your soul's benefit for eternity that's your invitation. And if you want to become a member in the body of Christ, you are, in fact, a prodigal child. You are lost. You are dead. Not because of anything God has done, but by virtue of you choosing your own path that leads to death. But yet you have a father who created you. And as your heavenly father, he is ready and willing for you to die to self so that you may be raised to walk in newness of life. And that is why we teach you from the scriptures that if you are willing to believe that Jesus is the Christ and to confess him as such and to die to your sins to that watery grave that we have right here, that baptism picture is a picture of your new life in Jesus Christ.
And that's your invitation to come to a father who lovingly accepts any and all sinners that he may dine with them forever. That's your invitation. That's together we stand and sing this song.